Hello, welcome back to Peachy Keen. I'm Vivian Liddell, and this is my podcast. Your ride is about to begin. Please remain seated until the very end of the ride. And remember, this ride is being run by friendly ride operators, not evil aliens who eat people. It's spring break season, and as threatened, Peachy Keen went on vacation to Orlando, Florida for this episode. Well, that's not entirely accurate. I, Vivian, went on vacation to Orlando with my partner and our kids and dragged Peachy Keen into it with me because I have a curiosity about other towns and their art scenes. Admittedly, I like to judge a place by the art that comes out of it. We all have our criteria for what makes a great place to live. My partner, for instance, is an amateur cyclist. He spends so much time looking at bike gear on the computer that he acts guilty when he gets caught which is why I call it bike porn. (laughs) So naturally, while we were in Orlando for an entire week, we went to no less than three bike shops. Lest you think we're that cool, though, we were officially there not to go to bike shops, but to do what most spring break tourists do. That's right, theme parks. Specifically, Universal Studios for Harry Potter. I was super jaded about the whole thing. And determined that it was a ripoff and I would hate every minute of it before we left. And it was way too overstimulating for me. There was a constantly changing soundtrack, music, announcements, children screaming. Okay, so maybe that was actually me screaming on the Woody Woodpecker roller coaster. But disappointingly, I rather enjoyed it overall. And I have to admit, the parks were a design wonder. It was super crowded, but I never had to wait in line for a bathroom. And that's right, I'm female, so that's an accomplishment. And when we left the park at closing time, with throngs of thousands of people, we somehow exited the parking decks with no bottleneck. So yeah, design wonder. Don't get me wrong, though, the whole thing was stupid expensive, and the cast system of who gets to ride things the fastest, depending on how much money they make, was extremely irritating to me. Regular person, you might be in line for 45 minutes. Express pass, down to 15 minutes. VIP pass, no line at all. Ride as much as you want, while all the regular people wonder why their line is no longer moving. Yeah. Yeah. And it wouldn't be that bad, except for, you know, these express passes, I have to say, are like $100 extra per day. So if you have a family of four, you're going to pay like $400 extra a day just for the express passes. I have no idea how much the VIP passes cost. doesn't even say on the website. So anyway, yeah, that whole thing just seems real counter to the America that I want to live in. I know we're capitalists, but come on, the kids waiting in line. I feel like they should be exempt. I want to take a related tangent here into public versus private education, but uh, yeah, I just read an article in CNN about teachers getting multiple side jobs, which checks out to be true. I know this for a fact locally here, but I'll save that for another episode. So back to Orlando. 
when we were doing regular people stuff outside of the theme parks, we had a top-notch local guide, one of my best girlfriends from college, is an Orlando native and happens to be a travel blogger. So you can find her online as Townie Tourist. I'll put a link in the end. And catering to my standards of what makes a town livable, she took us to the Cornell Fine Arts Museum in Winter Park and introduced me to artist Wanda Ramundi Ortiz. Wanda is a renowned artist and assistant professor at the University of Central Florida. Her work has been shown all over the world, including at such esteemed venues as El Museo del Barrio and PS1 in New York. She was a semifinalist for the National Portrait Gallery's Outwin Buchiever Portrait Competition in 2016 and performed work from her Reina series at the Smithsonian's National Portrait Gallery in 2017 as part of their Identity Performance Art Series. I met up with Wanda in her Orlando home studio to talk shop. Check it out. You said professors never take vacations. And I usually, whenever I go somewhere with my family, like look and see local artists that I want to talk to. And I saw your stuff and then um, Jen said that she had met you. I don't know Mm -hmm. if you guys really know each other that well or whatever, but she knew who you were. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, I've I've watched all of your YouTube videos oh, that you Lord. had. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> that you had linked to uh, just the ones you had on your website. Sure. So um, that's okay. We can introduce him. What is the dog's oh, name? Oh, this is Donia. Okay, Donia. So, she's my fifteen-year-old pit bull. So Donia may be in and out of the interview if we hear dog noises. Yeah. Sniffing or snorting or whatever. <laughs> that's her. It's fine. <laughs> so. Yeah, these videos, Ask Chuleta, right? Oh, dear. That's, uh, that's what I was like, oh, yeah, I want, I want to talk to her. She's going to be awesome. Um, and Jen said you were very funny to talk to. And the videos, I find them very humorous. I don't know if yeah, that's that was, your intention. Yeah, absolutely. That was the intention. Okay. Um, so why don't we start with those? How did you get started doing that series, and are you still doing it? How long have you been doing them? Okay, so um, I haven't done one since 2013. Well, I mean, I did a guest appearance in 2014 in my nephew's video. Um, He also keeps a very, very active YouTube page, and his name, he goes by the name of Skittles. Okay. Um, And so the Chuleta character did a guest spot. And one actually done one two no two videos um two of his videos and he had the um things uh shit spanish girl say video i'm in like video number two and then there was another one where his character and my character are on our way to go see jennifer lopez in a concert in orchard beach in the bronx and I won't tell you how it ends. It's just a mess. It's an absolute mess. And so his videos, like, what is the point behind them? Are they supposed to be art, or are they? No, he's definitely more humor. Like he's he's he's. I don't want to call him a humorist. I mean, he's he has a the, uh, musical theater background. Is all of his videos? He's either singing or performing, and he's adopted this sort of, you know, kind of humor online persona of Cesar. Mm-hmm. And he claims to have been inspired by me and my video work and the Astuleta videos. But the the shit Spanish girls say video which is really kind of what catapulted him um was the one of those like shit shit girl say shit white girl say shit white girl say to black girls like all that kind of the big 
grouping of videos that people started making and posting. And he did a video, the shit Spanish girls say video with, with his friends that are writers and stuff. And they made this video and he does the editing and he plays the main central character ended up having like three videos and the videos went viral and I mean, got a lot of attention, a lot, a lot of attention, got some, even some acclaim for the, like, a like, uh, like video of the year kind of thing. Mm. Um, it was, he was a nominee. Um, so yeah, so that's what he does. And so somehow my character got <laughs> roped into all of that. So, but your character already existed before yeah, that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I started her like 2000, late 2005, early 2006. Um, and uh, the character started out as a conversation that I was having with another artist, another Latina, Puerto Rican artist, um, after my very first visit to Art Basel, Miami. Mm-hmm. And I, we found ourselves feeling, although we're perfectly qualified, we're you know MFA students and MFA candidates in art, um, and we found ourselves feeling a little outside of the art scene, even though we are well-versed and many of the artists that, that we knew were friends that were participating in, in Art Basel, but because we were presenting as a sort of very much, very visibly Puerto Rican women with big hair, the earrings, just, you know, being ourselves, um, feeling that maybe we didn't belong or that people may have been sizing us up or judging us that, as if we were, you know, misplaced in this art scene. And, um, and as a result of this conversation that I've had with my friend, um... You know, I started thinking, well, well, how would I explain this to my then 15-year-old niece, born and raised in the Bronx, very much kind of this urban inner city Latina girl, um, not in any way, shape, or form interested in art. How would I explain it? How would I explain the art world to her? Right. Right. And then this persona comes out where I'm trying to explain, you know what I'm saying? Like, this is what I'm talking about, blah, 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 blah. And I try to, trying to frame, you know postmodern contemporary artworks in a, in a way that are accessible and relevant to a woman who has no no reason to connect and right. and um and it ended up i guess at the time i didn't really think of it that way but um it really ended up being like a backhanded critique of the institution um because the because this discourse is so kind of isolated and separatist and, you know, um, elite in, in and of itself that you have to, you know, you have to know something about postmodernism in order to feel like you can walk into this work and see it and address it and, you know, sit and put your, you know, put your index finger on your chin, very acad- that kind of academic, <laughs> slow nodding with the eyes squinting, <laughs> looking at the work like, yeah, you know, I really understand what the artist is doing. And you have everyone that's going, what the what are you talking about? What is that? Let's just completely black? curse on here. There's okay, no, good. No, so the record drop yes, an F-bomb yeah. every now and again because it's, it's not complete without an F-bomb. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, what are you talking Like, What are you... So actually, I was in a, I was in a, in an Uber and this uh, just yesterday morning and the, no, day before yesterday and the guy was, this guy was like, so what's up? What's so, what's so what? What's the big deal with Mondrian? <laughs> the Uber driver? Yeah. And so it was really hard to not launch into a, an Ask Chuleta thing, but that's like, that's exactly it. Like, that's right. like the rest of the world is sitting there going, well, that's a bunch of freaking squares. What are, what are you talking about? My response was like, have you ever tried drawing a straight line? And he goes, touche. And I'm like, <laughs> there you go. That's it. That's that's essentially it. You know what I mean? But most of the world, the rest of the world is kind of on the fringes, you know, just, just surviving. I you mean, know? most of the world, that's true. I mean, I most have the, the same issue, like, you know, um, 
I teach in North Georgia, a lot of my students have no connection to the art world whatsoever, and you really have to have an understanding of art history, and then there's the vocabulary. Like, one of your videos, you explain appropriation. <laughs> That's which, one of my favorite ones. Yeah, I love that one. <laughs> so, you know, just the whole idea of appropriation and that word appropriation, like, it... It's a million-dollar word, right? right. <laughs> you don't know what it is, and what are you talking about? You just stole something. It's boosting. You just totally boosted somebody's shit. Right. Yeah. Appropriation. The end. You know what I mean? And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, that's what that means? Yeah. It's that's not what that too complicated. But it's you're not kind too of, complicated. Um, I, I feel the same way. Like, you know, you come into the art world because you want to express yourself and you're interested maybe in, you know, representing yourself. Um, you talk about identity politics and, you know, just identity yeah. in your work. And that's how I think everyone gets into art. And then some of us are shocked. <laughs> when we get there and we're like oh there's this whole thing yeah there's this whole other thing that happens and you have people sitting there you know standing around saying all these smart words and you're like wait a minute I don't understand what you just said I remember being in an artist residency many years ago and I kid you not like I, I, I so I got into Skowhegan in 2002 mm -hmm. um and I had no idea where I was going. Like I didn't, I didn't know what Skowhegan was. I didn't know. I didn't know if you said postmodernism, I wouldn't know what you're talking about. I really got into the program, kind of. I don't want to say by accident, because clearly there was merit behind accepting me into the program. But when I got into the program, people were saying things that were so above my head that I'm just like, I don't know. What you're so, so I'm sitting there raising my hand, like, excuse me, can you say that to someone who doesn't understand what you're talking about? Yeah, postmodernism. Give me three <laughs> sentences. What are, What are you talking about? And then they said what they said. Okay, good. Now I'm back in the game. Now I know what you're talking about. Because now people start, it becomes this sort of, this verbal gymnastics that happens amongst, amongst right. scholars. And you realize that you're only talking to each other. And then the rest of the people that you, you're hoping to address are left out. No wonder people dismiss it. Right. No wonder people think that artwork is, the art world is completely elitist. Because it is. It, it, it has, I mean, like any other profession, it has its jargon. But you also talking about a profession that relies on public consumption for it to survive and you're so how are you going to ostracize the very people that you're supposed to be making our work for well that's the key you know like every profession has its jargon and you don't expect doctors to talk to lay people you know in the same way they talk to each other right but the, we have to have think about who our audience is exactly. and then you know you talk a lot uh, there's the also the warhol video <laughs> where you talk about like the hustle <laughs> So, I mean, there's the money aspect to art, sure. which you don't think about when you get into it, where it's a commodity. Yeah, yeah. You know, so oh, there's yeah. like those levels where you're making, you're making something that's like a pure creative spirit to you. And then there's this whole, you like talk about Art Basel, you know, the mm -hmm. whole um, business of art. Yeah, and it's an absolute hustle. It's an absolute 100% hustle. And um, and it's a different kind. It's a different kind of hustle because you're not supposed to talk about it because it's not. You can't say the, it's a hustle. You can't talk about hustling people for work. Listen, the art world is like an unregulated wild west, right? An, an elitist wild west that doesn't want to acknowledge its own elitism, but it is. It's, it is elite, and and, and it's just yes, yeah, she's snoring. I think she's gonna start snoring. Sorry, y'all. So my dog is snoring on the floor. Um, <laughs> There's no lady. It's cute. My um, cat does that. <laughs> oh, yeah. We can hear her. Oh, oh, yeah. Go ahead. Um, see, that's what my class sounds like. My students falling asleep on me. <laughs> <laughs> I doubt that. that. I, no, I not, doubt I don't, it. I don't have that problem. Um, so what kind of classes do you teach? Woo! Um, 
basically, um, all the classes that, that I teach um, are kind of geared towards bridging gaps, right? Okay. Towards the sort of idea of connectivity. Um, I teach a class called Mixed Media, which when people get to the class are expecting probably more often than not. They're expecting, oh, we're going to do collage and maybe some oil stick and, you know, maybe a little encaustic. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. You're going to be messing with, like, you're going to be dumpster diving. And we're going to, I'm going to, we're going to talk about found object. And we're going to talk about Abigail DeVille. And we're going to talk about the Bonosorio. And we're going to talk about um, multiples. And we're going to talk about Tara Donovan. And we're going to talk about... This other thing, and we're gonna look at, you know, uh, Gabriel Gabriel Orozco, and 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 it becomes a kind of intro to conceptual sculpture mm-hmm. in some sort of way, um, non narrative, and I don't want to deal with monsters and volcanoes, and I want to no 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 we're gonna we're gonna and we're gonna deal with identity, um, and and I te- and I and I and I joke that the class is cultural spackle. Mm-hmm. Because I'm like, I'm going to fill in the cracks in education that clearly, that I find are evident. So we're going to fill in all these little spaces that I think are, mm. the, that are missing in the curriculum, at least from my standpoint, as as a Puerto Rican woman in the South, in academe, in the art department. I'm like, you don't, you mean you don't know who Angeshe Mutsu is? You mean you don't know? But you know who Frank Stella is, but you know who so-and-so is, but you know. And come to find out, a lot of kids don't know who Frank Stella is. Or don't know who Solowit is. I find myself saying that the other day. I'm like, you don't know who Solowit is? Child, go get your phone. Go Google some Solowit. This is exactly what you're talking about. This is the minimalist gesture. This is whatever. Now, look at this person and look at that person. See the correlation? And so mm-hmm. you're coming, you're talking about being a Puerto Rican woman in the South. Um, you're from New York, though. Yes. Um, and I feel like you're a baby about my age. Uh, I I used to teach in New York. Yeah. And I lived there for about a decade. Uh-huh. Um, you lived in New York your whole life before you raised, came here? Born and raised. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like also your character is very much a New Yorker. Oh, yeah. All the way. Um, all the way. Yeah. So, to me, it seems that's, like, a really important part of her personality. And mm-hmm. I'm wondering, like, how... So, you've been here since 2010, is yeah. that right? Mm-hmm. And you started teaching at um, University of Central Florida yeah. then. Yeah. And that's what brought you down here? Mm-hmm. Okay, so... When you were in New York and you were growing up, when I was there, a lot I was teaching in Brooklyn. A lot of my students had never been to Manhattan. Right. Had no idea like I was an art teacher and I would take them on field trips. And mm-hmm. not only had did they not had they never been to um, the Met, but they had never been to Manhattan. Right. So which was a shocker for me growing up in the you know? South because I just thought like if you're in Brooklyn, that's, you know, something no, you would do. No, you have no reason to go to Manhattan. Right. So what about you when you were growing up? Did you go to museums in Manhattan? Did you? How connected were you with well, the art okay, world? Well, okay, so um, so I grew up in the Bronx, but I went to high school, the 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 LaGuardia High School of Music and, Perform- and, and oh. Performing Arts. So I went to the Fame School, right? right? So I went to school in Manhattan. I my field trips were to the Metropolitan, were to you know going to look at the Contemporary Art section, to go copy old masters and do that. That was my homework. So you're so very had, into art at oh, a young age. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was, and I was learning illustration. I was learning watercolor. I was doing. We were doing nudes at fifteen and clay and throwing pots and, um. So I was, you know, I was the wannabe white girl in the hood. I absolutely was. I was the girl wearing an MC jacket and MC boots with asymmetrical haircut 
not looking like salt and pepper, but trying to rock a Robert Smith cure thing, <laughs> or like listening, listening to you know, listening to the Ramones, and then listening to Lisa Lisa and the Clash. Mm-hmm. So trust me, I got a lot of shit when I would get off the subway in my MC jacket with my you know twenty four by thirty six um, portfolio case, and look at the wannabe white girl and. You know, like messed up Dr. Martin boots. And my mother's like, but look at the haciendo. Like, you know what I mean? Like, so I was definitely this cultural hybrid. And I find, I think that I've always been that, that, that person that has always kind of been in, in that um, intersection, which is the word now, right? The intersection right. or whatever. But back in the day, I was just the, the wannabe white girl in the hood. And what about your parents? Did you, you grew up with both of your parents or? Yeah, they... well, my, my dad died when I was 11. And so, yeah, it was my mom, my sisters, my brothers. And are they into art? Like your mom? What is, is she creative? Oh, no. well, it... <laughs> well, my mom, my mom um, was not afforded an education at all. Like my, my, our grandfather didn't believe that education was for women. Mm. So he didn't let her go to school. He didn't let her learn how to read or write. Mm. So she didn't, she never had a chance. Although I, by the way she survived, she would absolutely have been a creative had she been given that opportunity. Um, because she's just really clever, incredibly clever, and mine is always on fire. So had she, had she been able to go to school, I think she would have been a creative. She would have been some kind of designer or something. So she supported you and you're, you know, a lot of people when they want to go into the arts, their parents are like, nope, do something that makes money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm the last of seven, so my sister before me, Lillian, also went to the fame school. My brother, she got accepted for singing. My brother, Eddie, also got accepted to the fame school for art. My brother, Jesus, also got accepted for clarinet, although he ended up going to Bronx High School of Science. So he was definitely, I mean, there's a lot of talent in our bloodline, in my my family in Puerto Rico, like I have one cousin who's a cinematographer, like for soap operas, and like all of my cousins play music, um, but I I'm the one that has taken it the farthest professionally. And then my 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 nephew my nephew Skittles uh-huh. he went to music and art for oh, wow. vocal voice. My niece Veronica Cruz also went to music and art for um, for art for photography. Her daughter is in college now studying music. So it's definitely genetic. It's all we've all got it. Um, I probably have come by f- by far. Um, I'm by far the most advanced professionally with my creativity mm-hmm. in my immediate family. But my nephew's like right there with me. He's a he's a music teacher now, and he's making his videos, and he's traveling, and you know he just got he just was in a in a in a in a show. Uh, he was he was in a, a character in a show. Um, Oh my gosh, I can't remember the name of the show, but I'm HBO. <laughs> sorry, 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 I can't remember. Um, so it's it's definitely mixed up in there a lot. Um, and but she was very supportive, extremely supportive. Um, this is what, and I mean, I think she saw evidence so early on, and she'd already seen the other bro- older brothers and sisters. So your siblings had already kind of broken through that boundary of, yeah. of the art school is the place to go and so that you were just kind of following in line it wasn't yeah I just I think that but my sister ended up you know getting married and she became a teacher my brother did visual merchandising for a while and he didn't do anything with it so after leaving high school going further with it was just me with a machete through the woods I didn't know what I was doing I just was just kind of clearing a path and you went to FIT yeah I saw so yeah. did you start off wanting to go into fashion 
What is I that? always liked fashion. Always. I mean, I've got sketchbooks from when I was a little kid, like doing asymmetrical bathing suits and weird punk rock hairstyles <laughs> and things. I've got all these like little little kid drawings. Um, and I was into comics, or trying to draw comics, like newspaper clippings. And I used to love the old Lord and Taylor pullouts in the newspaper, and I was always attracted to it. Um, and then, um, I mean, I, when I left, when I graduated high school, I ended up going to Hunter College for two years, and I didn't, I didn't know what I was doing, right? So I ended up leaving Hunter, and then I got. What were you doing at Hunter? Were you doing a liberal, major yet? Liberal arts. I didn't know. Okay. I didn't know. I didn't know how to declare a major. I had okay. zero counseling. <laughs> I just got into school. Um, and then um, uh, I just, I didn't know anything. So I ended up, when I got to FIT, I had to kind of start from zero again. Um, but by then I was older and... So you I, left Hunter for a while. Yeah, I was out you, for like two years maybe. Okay. Just trying to work and keep myself out of trouble. And then, and then I got to FIT and then I met Dorothy Lavero and... She just saw my drawings and she was like, "Oh no, you need to be in here full time." I was because my GPA was so bad when I left Hunter from hanging out and participating in the '91 strikes, the, the student strikes, um, that um, I, they wouldn't even let me into the program regular. Like I had to go and take night classes to prove that I can keep a GPA. Mm-hmm. And then the professor got one look, got a hold of one, got got a got a look at me and saw, and she was like, "No, no, you need to be in the program full time." And then she worked with me, worked with me, and then I applied, and I got in, and yeah. And I just, I loved fashion. And then I went, I got married, and I didn't go back to school for a whole long time, and then I got scouted. I ended up falling ass backwards into Skowhegan, and meeting all these amazing artists, not knowing. Not so knowing. you were doing um, painting and drawing to get into Skowhegan? Uh, portraits? Yeah, I was doing portraits, but they were kind of like these tableaus. Mm-hmm. And I guess they were the they were the precursor for what were going to end up being performances and stuff like they look like altars Mm -hmm. I made an altar for my mother I made an altar for my dad and I you know done all this stuff but I didn't know I didn't know what the word tableau was I just was making stuff right and I was just I took a bunch of pictures I was making these portraits I was making portraits of women I had had done a whole nude series of women that were in it kind of in my cycle a cipher but um and I was, I knew that I was interested in the idea of the male gaze. I just didn't know what to call it. Right. You know what I mean, at the time, because I was trained as an illustrator. I wasn't trained as a, as a studio artist. So it's a very, di- that's a very different right. language. And so I was like, you know, I know that men paint women all the time through history, but what happens, is it different when women paint women? And I started these kind of experiments in painting women and interviewing them while I was painting them and observing their body language and um, noticing that there was a distinct difference a distinct difference. Like they, I think they felt like I was judging them in some sort of way versus mm. they, maybe they'd be more seductively painted or whatever if, they, if a man was painting them. So so I used those paintings and I got into Skowhegan. So I get there with my charcoal and my paper because I'm going to Skowhegan school so they're going to teach me how to draw, right? <laughs> I don't know. What I'm, I have no idea what I'm walking into. And, um, and I walked out a performance artist. So I got, that's I got where you turned out. Oh wow! Okay? I got turned out. So that's what happened. And how long were you there for? Nine weeks. Nine weeks, and it was like career changing. Oh my god! Yes. yes. Yeah. yeah. So what happened when you started showing these? I guess they're you know you had to go through these critiques, and they're like you're not you know it became clear to you that you were more interested in this kind of setup of the whole thing, not just the two D painting well I didn't I'd never seen performance art before 
At least yeah. not, not, not anything contextualized. So I'd met one of the women that was participating. Her name was Brenda Torres Figueroa. And so she was doing endurance work, right? And Tanya Bruguera was there. I didn't know who the hell Tanya Bruguera was. But then I started reading. So I'm, I'm meeting all the faculty. I have no idea who they are, mm-hmm. right? And so Rob Store was there. Fred Wilson was there. Whitfield Lavelle was there. Rackstraw Downs came. Tanya Bruguera. Like, just great. You know what I mean? But I had no idea who anybody was. And I, can't, I have to stress that because I was just like, I don't know who that guy is. Who's that? Right. Why is everybody going crazy over that guy, Rob? Like, you don't know who he is? Like, no. <laughs> You know, I don't know who you are either. Like, I have no idea who anybody was. Which made for really authentic in- interactions with people. Yeah. Um, but but Brenda, who had the studio next to me, um, was doing endurance performance. I'm like, I don't know what that is, but it's, I'm, I'm fascinated by this idea of, like, putting your body through these rigors. And then I, you know, I was introduced to the work of Coco Fusco. I was introduced to, to these, these texts where people are using their body to make... Yeah, she's snoring. Yeah, right I'm yeah, checking yeah. again. On, yeah, Diane. I can hear you. You're a loud yeah, snorer. You're a very loud snorer, mommy. But she, um, oh, she's happy to be sitting in here yeah, with you. Yeah, she's good. It's your baby. Um, so, yeah, so I didn't know what any of this stuff was. And I'm looking at Coco Fusco. I'm looking at Neil Bustamante and Guillermo Gomez Peña. And I'm just like, what is all this stuff? And I find it... And what ended up happening was that it created... Um, it kind of created this this interest in using my own body um using my own body to help me tell stories because at the time i was i was still thinking about storytelling like comics was thinking about i had i already had this wepa woman character that i was you know making these giant murals and and trying to tell the story of who um i guess like the kind of quasi activist story in me and also thinking about identity again there's all these complex thoughts i just had no names for them Mm -hmm. um or, or any theory behind it, but this is where my head was at, where I created the superhero character who had all of my core beliefs, but looked opposite of me, where I don't, maybe now I do, I guess, but when I mean, was in my 20s and in my high school years, growing up as the wannabe white girl in the hood, where I had a, had a hard time being identified as a Puerto Rican girl because I wasn't like 36, 28, 36, like shaped like an hourglass, like a, like a, like a wasp. That's mm-hmm. like the celebrated... Uh, or like a like a guitar or a Coca Cola bottle, right? Right. Um, I didn't have that body shape. It was more like 36, 36, 36, though, right? <laughs> um, and I didn't have the long, dark, flowing hair. I just kind of I was my girlfriend used to call me Peppermint Patty. I was like the weird <laughs> art kid, right? <laughs> Working around in Birkenstocks and huge hair, and everyone else was like wearing like the stretchy jeans right. and you know, um, fancy sneakers, and I'm in dirty boots and stuff. Um, and so. I made a character who sounded like me, but looked like Lisa Lisa or something. The dark okay. hair, the curvy body. And then I made a character named Chuleta Bitch, which is where the Chuleta thing comes back later. This kind of super hood, thugged out, around the way girl whose body was shaped like mine, but sounded like everything that my mother told me she didn't want to see in me. Right. And, and so the, they were at odds at all This Wepa woman, what year did you start that? Oh, I started her when I was like 19 years oh, old. Oh, very young. Yeah, as a comic, just a straight comic. Me trying to deal with, you know, just not fitting in and feeling outside and, and being voiceless and small and then the, turning into this like superhero and like, trying to straighten out people who were being too thug and whatever. Mm-hmm. So, um, 
and 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 trying to write that wrong, right? Sort of the the New Yorkian versus the New Yorkian, and the one that's super proud and you know politically awake, and versus the other one that's like, fuck this shit, I'm out. You know what I'm saying? I'm gonna get mine. What's up? You know, and then um, and being at odds, and that being me, right? Like I want to be woke, but I want to be down, but I want to be political, but I want to be accepted in my community, and I don't know how to fit in. I don't fit in anywhere. And so I was working these these themes in my drawings, but the stories were coming faster than I can keep up with them. So here I'm in Skowhegan, all of a sudden, you can use your body to tell a story. But I thought artists only drew on pad, on pad and paper. You're not an artist if you're not using, you know, canvas or paper. And wait a minute, you could do that? <laughs> oh, shit, here we go. And it felt like an avenue opened up and I started telling all these. I was able to use my body to make other, to make other work. And so when I was there, I had a strange interaction with a woman who ended up being, you know, a, 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 I would consider her friend. Um, but it is interaction around around hand washing underwear and then hanging them in the shower. Like that's something that my mother taught us to do. And then it ended up being like this weird class thing. Mm. And so I, so then I started thinking about me. I started drawing connections between the idea of washing hand, washing your clothes by hand in the shower as a way to always maintain kind of clean underwear because you don't have much to this connection to my mother, to her growing up without literacy, for her, to her, the stories that she told me about um, having to wash clothes in the river and having to go to the creek and gathering firewood and cooking on stones and very kind of, although the Industrial Revolution hit Puerto Rico, she was there in the 30s and 40s. Um, she was born 32, so she grew up, you know, post-depression, mm-hmm. Puerto Rico, illiterate, um, in the hills, no money, poor. When did she come to New York? In the 50s. Okay. Mm-hmm. And um, and I all of a sudden I was like, okay, there's a reason. There's something bigger than, of the hand washing is bigger than just keeping like your pair of clean panties. This is, there's a legacy. There's a legacy of, 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 of body and, and, and effort. You know what I mean? And I'm, in some strange way, I'm trying to connect to this history, to this legacy. Before I'd gotten into Skowhegan, I was struggling with who I look like because my grandfather also didn't believe in keeping items or totems of the dead. So when my mother's mother died, when my mom was only six years old, he burned everything that belonged to her. No wow. photos, no nothing. My mother has no recollection of what my mother, of what her mother looks like. And again, struggling with identity... I'm the lightest one in my family. Everyone is darker. You know, I'm taller than everybody else in my family. Who do you look like? There was a running joke. She's the white girl. She's the, the milkman's son. She's the daughter or whatever. We don't know where you came from. Ha, ha, ha. Very funny, very funny. But that really affected me in a way that I'm like, well, I don't know who I look like. So I started trying to find pictures and draw correlations between my mother, myself, my dad, myself. Kind of in a Cindy Sherman-esque sort of way. But mm-hmm. again, had no diet and discourse for Cindy Sherman. Right. I just, I didn't know. So when I saw I was like, oh. Oh my God, she did. She, I, so you know what I mean. I start making all these connections, based on identity, the body, performance, and I came. I came back from Skowhegan like Moses with the white streak and the Ten Commandments when 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 Charlton Huston has got that crazy look in his eyes. And he's all glistening. With that streak. I came back from Skowhegan like I'd spoken to the bro, like burning bush right. or something, you know. And it really, it was hugely transformative. It really lit a fire under you. Oh, so that yeah, was uh, two thousand two. And I see that you got your MFA from Rutgers in 2008. Yeah. So you're come out, you come out of Skowhegan, that's six years. What did you do in that six years before you went back to get your MFA after you come I'm out waitress, with your glistening? I, oh, my God. I, co- I was a cocktail waitress 
for a long time. Um, I, um, God, I, I taught all kinds of little workshops for kids. Um, you know, as in New York City, there's that kind of arts and education that you kind of, you can you get plugged into a couple of organizations and then you can start teaching like little kids, like six weeks here, five weeks there, 10 weeks here. So I hustled, I hustled a lot of that. Were you still um, in the Bronx? Yeah. 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 Listen, if I was leaving the Bronx, I was leaving the state. Okay. Gotcha. That's how, that's how <laughs> die hard my Bronx is. I'm not leaving the Bronx unless I'm leaving the state. And I did it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so, I mean, I just, I hustled every gig I could. I did, I mean, I ended up getting a big old loft with my ex-husband, and we did, we did art parties. Um, I started doing performance exercises in my uh, in my loft. Skowhegan had, a re- like, a, they were doing, like, these tours, mm-hmm. studio tours of different alum, and they chose the Bronx, and there were only two Skowhegan alum at the time that lived in the Bronx, Timothy Blum, who is no longer with us, and I adore him, I miss him very much, um, and me. And, um, and so he had a loft space downtown, down in the, in the, in what is now called, you know, like Mott Haven, the Sobro, whatever, that's totally being gentrified now. Um, but he had a spot there where he worked, lived and worked. And I was living on the other side of the Bronx and I, my studio was my living room. I had taken all my furniture apart. Like my futon was in pieces and it was like stuff mounted in the kitchen. It was completely just renegade. Um, and he said, well come and set up a little spot in my studio so when they'll do the studio tour we'll be there together and Skowhegan had bought me a kind of pedigree that I didn't have and he kept telling me Timothy Blum's like you know you've got pedigree you got Skowhegan I'm like I don't know what you're talking about I'm broke I don't know shit whatever whatever and I felt very inadequate and so he he encouraged me to participate in the tour I did um the board of trustees I guess or governors from Skowhegan was was part of the tour and I met Emma Amos who at the time was the department chair at Rutgers at Mason Gross and she took one look at me she was like where'd you do your graduate work I'm like I didn't I mean I just got my associate's degree and I got married and I just kept living um and so she asked me to apply and so I didn't believe her and I didn't you know um but she one thing she told me that and I I I use it now on my students she was like um well you know what are you gonna you know you need to get a, a, a a degree I'm like, but, you know, I, I can't afford a degree. She goes, you're a woman of color. You can't afford not to have a degree. Stop me dead in my tracks, right? So she chases me down. She chases me down for like a good six months. And then like, she gets me to apply. And when I applied, I actually applied. And I, Hassan Alahi was my mentor, who I didn't know how, how important he was going to be in my career. Um, and um, he, you know, she was that's like, you know, I got in. I got a Ralph Bunch fellowship, which apparently is like really hard to do as an art. You know, usually it's reserved for the sciences or whatever. Mm-hmm. The last person I got one before me was Clifford Owens. Mm-hmm. And that was that was a big honor. Um, so I got into the school. Holy crap! Like I got into grad school. Um, the rest is just just a whirlwind. A whirlwind. And did you have a focus in grad school? Was it on performance? I had no idea what I was doing again. Like, again, (laughs) falling ass backwards into things. Um, I was still working with a woman a lot. But, um, and the performances didn't really, really um, take off until until Emma came and kind of came into my studio and kind of kicked my ass. You know what I mean? She kept telling me, she was like, you know, you've got to dig the, mind the dark spaces of your life. Mm -hmm. At the time I was going through a divorce 
and still trying to do these this the, use the, use the superheroes the way to tell my stories where I you know I I myself was losing my way I was losing my identity I I was lost I was living in New Jersey I was going through a divorce I didn't know I didn't know what was going I felt like I was as my star was rising I was so felt like I was collapsing mm-hmm. um or the parts of me that were dying um and so she was just like. But I also recognized that the work that I was making was so culturally specific that in studio visits I spent more time explaining why I was making this work and the backstories behind the characters, and then I didn't know that that I could actually withhold certain parts of my work from <clears throat> from studio. I'm like this doesn't belong to you. This is actually my stuff. There's a there's a set audience. I don't need to be doing this work in grad school. I guess I have to do something else. And then she told me. God bless her. She goes, you need to stop fucking around and get in front of the camera. And I was like, uh, okay. So I started experimenting with video. I started practicing, doing like weird things just with my like iMovie and just like a little webcam. And and then the chuleta thing started. <laughs> it's like, oh God. Um, again, but I didn't show that. I didn't show that in grad school either. I just shot those videos for myself and... And I saw at one point on your website you had some large drawings of women. Mm-hmm. It looked like you were doing with audience participation. Is that true, or like was there some? some... There was some, some, but that was I think more more of those were done here, just okay. because I was trying to find my way here in Orlando, and there was still now there's more of a scene. Like this was before the Florida Prize, before there was a, you know the transition into the new governance at the at the museums here so that i just didn't know i got here and there was no place for me to do my thing so florida let's talk florida for a second so i'm in georgia and i know very little about what's happening down here (laughs) in terms of art um you have miami which is like the new york of the south right Right. um i have never actually been to miami you said you were just there this week yeah yeah just got i guess back last night and you were there with the bridge collapse uh, did you hear about that? Yeah, yesterday? yeah, yeah. I was actually, I had, I was on that campus the day before that oh, class. Oh, God. Yeah. And we were already driving and all of a sudden, like, oh, shit, it was news. Oh, it's horrifying. Yeah, crazy. So you show your work a lot in Florida or do you... You know, I don't show my work in Miami. It hasn't happened yet, mm-hmm. and, you know, and which is crazy that it hasn't. I mean, I just had one tinky, dinky little show that nobody went to. Um, well, you have all these connections in in the New York art world. Yes. I mean, Skowhegan, and you know oh, yeah. that's like you said, it's a pedigree that everybody recognizes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and that carries over into Miami because that's like sure. an offshoot of the New York art world. Oh, absolutely. But then Orlando, what is what is what's happening in Orlando? Like what there, you know what? <laughs> <laughs> so um, so Orlando is really there's some there's some interesting things that are starting that are starting to happen now. Um. Orlando for a very long time was just like, you know, orange groves and just big, just fields, right? And then now this is bustling city. This is, this is, this is little school UCF that's turned into this massive school with tons of research, tons of education, tons of connections to NASA and, you know, medicine and, you know, solar power. Just like, I mean, it's doing amazing things. The school has exploded, and I think that the explosion of the school in terms of its research and its, you know, world-class faculty um, has attracted a lot of attention. So now you got a lot of new, a lot of new uh, home development, a lot of business, 
um, attracted here. This like, and when, even from the time that I got here, the downtown art scene was 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 still pretty barren. A lot of empty storefronts. I'm like, what what was here? What used to be here? And now like a lot of pop up galleries exist. Um, there's a little performance scene. There's some poetry going on. There's like, um, you know, we now have the Florida Prize in Contemporary Art, which is anchored at the Orlando Museum of Art. Which and is how the, much is that? The, is it a cash prize? It's a twenty thousand dollar prize. Okay, because we have the the Hudgens Prize in Georgia, which is fifty grand now. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Which is kind of done that for Atlanta. Oh, that's awesome. That yeah. is awesome. Yeah. But you, you got hot Atlanta. Yeah. I mean, Atlanta's. You know, I. I have a long history with Georgia, and it's not New York, you know, in terms of art, but it has its own thing going on now, which is pretty amazing, and I feel like, uh, for me, it's been much better than New York. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. You know what? Sometimes it bees like that. You gotta leave. Yeah. It's funny, because I went there to do art, but, you know, you don't have... Is the space issue, like, you don't have room to make art? And, uh, yeah. you know, Orlando, there is a lot of space here. So mm-hmm. what about your students? You taught some in New York. Mm-hmm. And did you teach college in New York? I did. I got to teach um, at the Stern College for Women. It's a yeshiva. So it's like Jewish Orthodox women. Uh-huh. Which is interesting when you're a Puerto Rican recovering Catholic. Okay. I was going <laughs> to say, you're not Jewish. No. So that's kind of an unusual situation and then coming to public university here is a much different anyway oh yeah like in terms of but i was just curious about you know this is a podcast about women art and the south <laughs> so <Yep. laughs> i like to talk about like the whole south thing sure. and like your relationship to the south do you like because a lot of people in atlanta you know in georgia and the art scene want to distance themselves from regionalism um I have a kind of relationship with the South. I was born and raised here that that's similar to where I feel like I have to explain art to people all the time. Yeah, sure. In the, in the same way that you're talking about, where I have to, if I have to show them my work, I have to give them a history of art. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Along you need, like, you need cliff it. notes in order to get yes. people to catch up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. So I don't, you know, I have this conflicted kind of feeling about the South. Like, I think that that's kind of an interesting point about it the general population is very uneducated when it comes to the art world. Mm-hmm. And um, so I just wonder, having lived in New York and having grown up there and then coming here, like, how do you feel as a, you know... It, Other? Yeah, I mean... <laughs> so I think I already, because, uh, like I said earlier, like I, I, um, I'm kind of in that cross-section anyway um, of being too white to be brown too brown to be white like the kind of in that weird space even in new york city um coming here i already i've already learned how to balance that a little bit it's a little bit trickier here because stuff is a little bit more obvious um so you're talking about code switching basically yeah absolutely absolutely i mean i think i'm an experienced code switcher and that 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 comes out in all of my work from the Chuleta characters to the queens. It's all about these kind of codes and there's all kinds of weird stuff kind of folded into the costumes um, because of the code switching. But I, I became more aware of it here. Right. Um, where I was, I think I was having sort of theoretical code switching conversations 
in New York because everyone knew the code. So you're talking, you're preaching to the choir. So right but here, it's actual switching codes. Right. You know, um, where it's been put more to the test here, where um, kind of a New York swagger only goes so far in the South mm-hmm. because the South doesn't appreciate New York swagger. You know, it just looks as like it's either brassy or bossy or too fast or not genteel enough or whatever. I didn't understand what bless your heart was until I was taught that that's a, that's a Southern fuck you. And I'm like, did he just say bless your heart to me? Well, I never. You know, I said, well, I never. Um, I didn't get that. Like, I don't come from that. I don't come from this night, people smiling at you and then just ghosting you and not talking to you. Right. I don't come from that. If someone doesn't like you, listen, you know what? We're done. In New York City, I learned, you ne- if you're going to be late to work, don't show up with a, co- a cup of coffee in your hands. Because if you had time to get coffee, you had time to be on time. Right. You know what I mean? You wasted those five minutes ordering your coffee. Right. So if you're going to be late, don't show up with coffee. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, and I do that, do that to my students. Don't show up here late with a sandwich. Right. You better stay outside and eat that sandwich. Don't let me smell chicken on your breath. Like, I don't want you showing up here acting like you, you know, showing up late, kicking it in flip-flops, chewing gum like I owe you money. Like, no, that's not how this works. Um... But then that's my that's the New Yorker in me. So your students um, are they local? Like they're pretty mostly much, yeah, mostly grew like, up around here or like in you know Melbourne, this that like South South Florida. So when you're speckling, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when I'm speckling, when you're speckling for them, like you're taking into account that they have had very little arts yes. education. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. And I would it's a lot say, of spackle. It's a lot of spackle. Um, you're having to play a lot of catch up. I feel like the same thing uh, with my students in Georgia. So um, I don't know. I'm just I'm interested in in seeing your kind of perspective on that. And you're teaching these. They're Southerners. You know they've or you know I don't know. People some people say Florida is not part of the South, but <laughs> oh yes it is. <laughs> yeah, on the way here I passed. Like, no joke, 50 billboards that had the, did you know that heartbeat begins 18 yeah, days after man. conception? Yeah, man. And I was just like, seriously? Like, 50 of them in a row. Easily. And the only other billboards were um, For the strip club? Sh- machine guns. Oh, oh they, that's true. The there, were mis- there were strip clubs, machine guns, and babies. I was like, weird combination, people. And crack about. You're going to like... Uh, <laughs> You're gonna say, do you want to learn to shoot a machine gun and then? But life is is sacred. Life is, yeah, life is life is sacred, you know. But you can shoot it if you need to. But wait till the the baby's older than the yeah. fifteen days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's very kind hypocritical. Of, it's a very, very yeah. It is, and it's a weird kind of. Um, it, it to me, I just see that, and I'm like, does nobody else see the irony here? No, like, apparently yeah. not. Like, there's a couple of people that get it, sort of, but they're too nice to say it. Hmm. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything on. I'm like, what are you doing? Come on. Like, you know, really? Really? I say that a lot in class. Really? I give people a lot of side eye. Like, (laughs) how's wrong with you? (laughs) Um, Yeah, being in the the South. Um, So, I don't want to say it's a love-hate relationship because it's not. I don't hate being here. It's very nice to go outside and see the sky. 
Mm-hmm. Right? You don't see the sky in New York. You see it between buildings. Or maybe if you if you have if you live far out enough in the boroughs or your train actually comes out of the ground, right. you get to see the sky for a little while. Um, so it's nice to see the sky. It's nice to see green, like real green, pretty green. Um, it's sad to see spaces that are green being raised to the ground for development. And I'm like, I just came from New York City. Don't do it. Don't do it. It's a trap. Don't do it. Stop it. It's not all it's cracked up to be. It's going to be a rat race. Trust me. Um, Orlando looks like it's about 90% under construction to me right yes, now. Yes, it's exploding. It's crazy. It is exploding. Jen told me there's some name for it. The something something corridor or something. I don't oh, know. Oh, the cultural corridor? Cultural corridor, is that what yeah. it is? The, the I-4 stuff? corridor. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Stretching all the way down to Tampa. Or to, yeah. It's kind or of madness. Or something. Yeah, it's crazy. But, and then there's this and then this, this cultural corridor, and then this I-4 corridor, and then there's all the stuff that's happening east, and Christmas, and blah, 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 and just, it's exploding everywhere. It's exploding. But anyway, but going down to this thing about the South, is a trip to me, because I'm just like, man, um, like, the folks there, there are a lot of folks that just genuinely don't, they're not keyed into stuff, and it's not even about me being a liberal, or this, or that, or a Democrat, or whatever, it's just... Y'all just not exposed. Like you right. really have never been around brown folks. And the thing that, the thing that was most eye opening to me, here, is I spend so much time in my car, as opposed to being on a subway or a bus stop or, right. you know, or waiting online for anything in New York. Um, that if you don't want to see something, you don't have to ever see it. You never ever ever. If you don't want to, you never have to interact with people that don't look like you. Yeah, because you're very isolated. You can be very isolated. Yeah, you absolutely can. You get in your car. You go from wherever you're working. You have your diversity moment with Jen in, you know, in the mail room. And you have your diversity moment with the lady who makes your cortadito or whatever. (laughs) Diversity moment. And then you get in your car. (laughs) You, you know, you pump your own gas. You never have to deal with the people on the counter if you don't want to. Um, and then you but what go is the home. population of Orlando like? Is it a diverse population? I mean, yeah, there's a lot of people here. You it's just like don't a see million each and other. a half people, right? Yeah, but you don't have to see each other if you don't want to, right? So you it's don't kind like of segregated. I mean, Absolutely, like yeah. it, like there. I I lived here seven years. I lived in Winter Park, mm-hmm. um, and I lived in kind of the heart of Orlando, and in the heart of downtown Orlando. Um, and I saw I never seen so many white people in my life. You know right. what I mean, I was I was steeped in Gringolandia and. <laughs> And um, and it's not until we moved out here that I went into the grocery store and the his the Hispanic section or the ethnic food section was a whole long line mm-hmm. and it wasn't just like Mexican stuff and right. there was actually like kosher things and there was Caribbean stuff and then I'm looking at there's a lot of brown people yes finally <laughs> like I miss my people mm-hmm. um, but you have to go out of your way to find them if you live in a neighborhood like Winter Park or whatever you have to like go out of your way you know. To be around Latinos, especially for me during the holidays, that's when my I, I couldn't be more Puerto Rican if you tried during the holidays. Like our food, our music, our this, our traditions. I'd have to go to the Curry Ford section. I don't have any reason to go to Kissimmee because that's going 45 minutes out of my way to hang out with people that I don't know. I don't know those people. So, like, you know what I mean? Like, but if I want to hang out around brown Caribbeans, I'd have to go, like, into Pine Hills section. If I want to hang out, or, like, Forest Hills, there's a Nigerian community here. But it's all in pockets. Right. Um, that makes me think of one more thing that I wanted to talk to you about in your work. So, your your videos, especially to me, like, you mentioned in one of your videos, I, I, or you don't mention, um, your character mentions 
that she lo uh, loves art but hates the art world. Yes. Right? So the videos <laughs> yeah. are very critical of the elitism in the art world. Yeah. But they also seem to me to be like... Um, you know, they're critical of stereotypes, but at the same time, like, I wonder if, if people think that you're making fun of, do, do you, do you get this kind of backlash? I did. From the I Puerto Rican to, community? I used to until I turned off the comment section of my videos, because I got, I started getting, like, really awful hate mail. Mm. From hate. both, from, from the both art, the art the, world? No, the art world totally got the, the joke. The art world was fine. The art world totally got the joke. Okay. They knew that I was talking about them. It even got written up in art news. Mm -hmm. You know, in this article called Biting the Hand That Feeds Them, and it talked about artists that critique the institution. Yeah. They would so, but, but folks, and again, I attribute it to the fact that there is no centralized discourse of art except for Michelangelo, some church paintings, this, and it's done. Or right. clay pots and blah, 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 functional, whatever. It's kind of this weird, vague historical context that you talk about art in general education. And then you never have to you never have to deal with art again unless you go out of your way to take a class. Right. And so it's not surprising to me to have people say, well, what the fuck? This chick needs to get an education. She's making us look bad. We finally have Sotomayor as our, you know, as, as a Supreme Court justice. And this bitch is doing this to us. You know what I mean? I get it. I get it. I don't necessarily want to hear it all the time. And I don't feel like I, have, I don't feel like I should have to constantly defend my position to make work. My whole thing was like, Google me. Google my name. Do a little homework. I'm going to put it on you to do a little homework and see that I'm not a moron from around the way trying to make us look bad. I'm actually trying to do something here. You know what I mean? Um, because I'm critiquing both sides at the same time. Right. You know Very what I mean? tricky. Which is really tricky. And it's and I have I have not come away without a little blood spatter here and there. Um, and um, But I expect that. And I'm not surprised. Because we don't talk about performance art. We don't, you know, performance art, that's the, oh, that's that person that's standing in the corner. And she just got to get attention for herself. She can't do shit. Then go get a job. But that's a very working class right. thought process. Because art is a commodity. Art is luxury. Art, if you have time to go to art school and sit and put your index finger on your chin and look at that thing like, oh my God, that's beautiful. You see the balance of negative and positive space? <laughs> that is reminiscent of the Bauhaus movement. That's the, you don't have time for that shit. You, you know, you're bouncing a kid on your, on your hip and you're going to work and you're doing whatever. and You, you know what I mean? Like that's, that's, what ha that's, that's the thing about art. In the South, in the North. There, art is not, as much as it is for everyone, and every museum in the nation will tell you that art is for everyone, and it's all this public programming, but it's not. You know what I mean? Because if, if, it were, if it were treated as something that belonged to everyone, that was standard to every human being that, went into, that walked into school or whatever, you would talk about art the same way you talked about math. Then you could go to a museum, and you don't feel like an idiot going because you don't understand what the word conflate means. Why we say conflate, I don't know. But that's the word, right? One of those words. Another one of those million-dollar elitist words. No, you put it together. It's, you know, oh, the dichotomy and blah, blah, blah. This didacticism. <laughs> Fuck, man, that's really separatist, man. I don't know what you're saying. And people feel that way. They're like, oh, well, I'm going to go there, and I'm not going to know what's happening anyway. For that, I'll go to the movies. For that, I'll go, because that's made for me. It's accessible. It's quick. I can go get some snacks and sit and, and be entertained. If we were, if, if art were treated that way, we wouldn't have this discussion. You know, it wouldn't be a cultural elite thing. 
it would just be. And you can go to the museum and, you know, let me tell you something. I had a show in Puerto Rico in 2005 in, like, not far from my, from my family's hometown. Only two cousins went. Mm. Because nobody felt smart enough to go to the museum. Mm-hmm. Boom. In their language. In their country. In their city. Don't feel smart enough to go. I didn't feel smart enough to go to the museum. You know what I mean? But I would go to the Museo del Barrio because at least I recognized certain things. I didn't know that that's why I was going, but I kept going because at least it felt Bronx Museum. You could have the hip-hop show. You could have this, whatever. And then you can... Oh, man. I saw Nikki S. Lee's work. I talk about her now and the problem, the problems behind like potential brown face or whatever. But back then, I just saw... I saw brown people. I saw gold fronts. I saw hoodies. I saw... Oh, snap. Like, you see it, and you, you're invited to the table. And it's not shot so over your head that you feel stupid because you don't know what the word means. You could still walk into it and, and receive it. So this is the thing that I criticize. And now being here in the South, is it's this weird space because I'm trying to catch people up on the stuff that's happening up North, the stuff that's happening down South. You mean you've never been to Miami? What are you talking about? Go to the Perez. Go here. Go there. Check this out. The Florida Prize. Guess who's in that show? Me. Or whatever. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, and then, and then people, all of a sudden, my students look at me like I'm a rock star because the artists that I'm talking to them about, I know. Right. So just to blow their mind, they'll, I'll, I'll, start, I'll talk about Abigail DeVille, for example, you know, world-class, world-traveled, Rome Prize, or, or, or Latoya Frazier, Ruby Frazier. And these are people that I know personally, like they're personal friends of mine. And I'm like, word, you have a question for her? And yeah, I'm like, I don't know how she does this. Hold on a second. Let me go on Facebook. <laughs> Abigail, what's up? And then she'll, you know, and I can get an answer for them. And the students are like, you know these people? Yeah, these are people that are living and breathing and making changes right here, right now. You can talk about old dusty art all you want, but there's also stuff that's happening right now. And it's important for me that you see artists that look like you, that look like me, that sound like your tia, that sound like your cousin, that look like whatever, that look like your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your lover, that, 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 that are trans, that are blah, blah, blah. That is art right now. And if I can do that, and if I can spread it out that way, then I can bring a bunch of people to the table. And then it's not. At least, at least for a little while, we can level the playing field. You know? That's what I do. That's how I teach. Thanks, Wanda. Thanks Thank so you. much for having me into your studio today and talking Thank to me you. about art. It's been really fun. Thank you so much. Thank you for hanging out with me and for letting my dog snore on, <laughs> snore on tape. <laughs> it's been a lot of fun. Thank you so much. So much fun talking with Wanda Ramundi Ortiz. Thanks, Wanda, for letting me crash your spring break. Now that school's back in session... Wanda will be performing the Pieta Project on Wednesday, this Wednesday, April 4th, at the University of Central Florida's Student Union Atrium. So those of you in Orlando should definitely go check that out. Very week after Easter appropriate, the Pieta is a traditional subject in Western art that shows Mary holding the dead body of Jesus, the most famous version of which is probably Michelangelo's at the Vatican. You can find out more about Wanda's performance of this traditional subject, as well as many short videos of her work and images of some of the work that we talked about in this episode on her website. And you can find a link to her website and some other related links to our talk on the Peachy Keen page at vivianliddell.com. That's V-I-V-I-A-N-L-I-D-D 
E-L-L.com. Since Wanda schooled us on some contemporary art history in this episode, I'm going to include a little section of artists that she mentioned during our chat on the Peachy Keen page so you can all catch yourselves up with some quick Googling. Thank you all for listening. If you've enjoyed these first 14 episodes of Peachy Keen and would like to help support the podcast, I encourage you to leave a review on iTunes or consider donating by looking up Peachy Keen on Patreon.com. For our next episode, we're going to be back in Athens talking to local artist Yvonne Studevon about her upcoming show of plein air painting at the Linden House Arts Center. Until then, I hope you're enjoying this lovely spring and that your days are peachy keen.